0: Post-modern and post-Christian are both terms that the, the church seriously needs to retire. We're going to the world to tell them who we are, and we're not going to the world to present who God is. The world in which so much is focused on building walls and keeping people out, an alternative way to live is to live it's by... It's almost heaven. like raising a white flag and saying, ah, oh, it's all the secular people's fault and no one's listening or coming to our evangelistic
1: how can we redesign adventism to be effective at reaching emerging western culture that's what the story church podcast is all about adventism redesigned hey guys it's pastor marcus here and i want to welcome you back to another episode of the story church podcast i am uh, super stoked for today's episode because we're going to be talking about uh, some pretty hairy stuff. We're going to be talking about uh, how to navigate misinformation, uh, avoid sensational conspiracy theories, and how to stay within what God has actually revealed. And uh, I'm just, I'm happy because uh, it's a topic that I think it's important, but also because I'm not alone. I'm joined by uh, Matthew Schallenberger, Pastor Matthew Schallenberger. Uh, Matthew, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me.
1: Awesome, bro. Well, look, as we begin, as usual, I just want uh, the audience to get to know you a little bit. So uh, just take a few moments and talk to us about um, the legend of Matthew Schallenberger.
2: (laughs) I don't know how much of a legend there is, but um, uh, as you mentioned, I'm a pastor. I've been pastoring for uh, seven and a half years now. Uh, Hard to believe it's been that long. Time has flown by. Uh, I am currently the associate pastor at the Ultua Seventh-day Adventist Church in Ultua, Tennessee, which is um, near the city of Chattanooga, for those who might not know where Ultua is. Um, I've been here for uh, coming up on, uh, this summer it will be three years that I've been here, and um, having a good time. Uh, it's a good good part of the country to live in right here in the kind of the, the foothills of the Smoky Mountains. So there's lots of outdoor activities. Uh, my wife and I love to go hiking, uh, biking. Um, so it's a good place to raise a family. We've got we've got uh, two little boys, uh, Malachi and Eli, who are ages uh, six and four. Um, my wife's name is Emily, by the way. And um, there's a Matt Schallenberger, who is an actor who played in um, – I think it was um, The Dark Knight. It was one of the Batman movies. I'm pretty sure it was The Dark Knight. Okay. And uh, a long time ago, somebody actually added me on Facebook because they thought (laughs) I was the actor. (laughs) And the funny thing is we've stayed friends. Like, uh, uh, She sent me a, a message or something at some point. Uh, and and uh, it, it, that's how I figured out she thought I was the actor. I was like, no, I'm not the actor. I'm just another Matthew Shepard. But anyway, we've that's actually awesome, stayed. I've, I've never met this person, but we've been Facebook friends for this whole time. Yeah. Uh, but she added because she thought I was the actor from the movie. <laughs> R- random story.
1: That's awesome. <laughs> that's
2: awesome, man. So, um,
1: you you said you live in Ottawa, Tennessee. Uh, yeah. You guys had some nasty storms coming through there lately. Like, yeah, does like, it if, impact you guys a lot? Like your particular,
2: not not directly where we live. Um, it was it was more in Chattanooga where it hit, um, and then it it did uh, go through some parts of Utlaw. But we're kind of like in between Utlaw and Harrison, um, so we were a little farther away from the direct uh, path of the storm. But it did go through my dad's neighborhood uh, pretty badly. Uh, his house. Did not suffer uh, any serious damage. He's got some shingles torn off, and had to do some roof repairs. Uh, and then he did have some. He 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 lost almost all of his um, huge oak trees that were in his backyard. They just uprooted. So he was in the path of the storm, but thankfully his house was spared. But his neighborhood is just uh, it, it's a, a mess. Houses uh, torn up everywhere. Yeah, I can imagine. So bro. it was. Yeah, it was. It was pretty ugly. Um, I spent the, the week after the tornado, I spent a lot of time over at uh, his house, trying to help get his roof patched up a little bit temporarily and starting to process the clearing brush. And yeah. So in, in addition to all the craziness that has been going on with the pandemic, that was just like, man, it's like, aren't there enough bad things happening? Yeah,
1: <laughs> Far out, man. Yeah. And I remember because it like it was like a couple of weeks ago, we were actually meant to do this interview a couple of weeks ago and I messaged you and yes. you were like, oh, actually, I'm helping my dad fix his roof. And I'm like, oh, I felt so bad, by the way. I felt like, look at insensitive me, like, hey, can we uh, switch our podcast time? And it's like the last thing on your mind. <laughs> but I honestly no, had no idea. I, did, I didn't put two and two together. So
2: guys, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fun.
1: Yeah, it, it was uh, it was
2: kind of a crazy week. I was really sorry. I, I, I'm actually feeling a little bit better this week last week. I was still so sore from from that the, the week prior to that working outside so much. I'm not right. used to that. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. I don't I don't do that work every day. Yeah. So, so in fact, somebody um, who came to my dad's house was helping us clean up. Uh, she was like, "Hey, yeah, can you imagine there are people who do this for a living every day?" And I was just like, "Yeah, it's crazy." But <laughs> those guys are in shape, man. Yeah. <laughs> I I am not in that kind of shape. I can tell you. Oh,
1: that's awesome, man. Well, you mentioned the pandemic as well because that's been. That's just been nuts. Um, so I'm curious before we get into our heavy conversation today, which uh, which is, is quite meaningful, I, I, I believe, but still heavy. Uh, but I want to know because, uh, you know, people have been doing different things to survive the pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. And so my, my question for you is in, in the light of this pandemic being stuck at home, all the annoyances and, and insanity that comes with that, um I would like to know what TV show whether it's Netflix or whatever it might be has uh has kept your evenings fairly exciting.
2: <laughs> uh well my wife and I have actually been uh, watching the new Star Trek shows on CBS All Access because they had they had a deal where you could get uh, a month for free. And so we we started with um Star Trek Picard which I I thought that was fairly good like okay. I, I like Patrick Stewart he's a good actor yeah um he uh there are some other things about the show that were a little iffy but I feel like he's he's got the gravitas to carry it mm. um and then we started watching the other the other new one which is um Star Trek Discovery but that one I don't know we, we finished the first season but oh, that one was kind of a hot mess the writing was all <laughs> over the place like some some of the decisions that they're having the characters make, I was just like, well, why
0: why would you do that? Yeah.
2: <laughs> so I, I guess it kept us occupied, but I don't, I don't know. We, we kind of lost at, at the end of the first season. We were kind of like, do we want to keep watching this? Uh, I don't
0: know. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: I, I've never I've never been a Star Wars guy, um, or a Star Trek yeah. guy, so you know, Star Wars is a thing for you too. like you're.
2: uh, yeah, see, actually I didn't really, uh, see, I wasn't into Star Trek as a kid or anything. Like I know some people, you know, got into it when they were really young, but I, I was into Star Wars as a kid. I thought Star Wars was super cool. And, um, when I, when I was growing up, my parents were, uh, pretty conservatives. And so that wasn't really a movie we were allowed to watch, yeah. <laughs> but I would, I would catch little like glimpses of it, you know, in, in the store or something. Yeah. And, um, and so it, it you know, it drew my attention. It, w- it was interesting. It was exciting. And um, but Star Trek, not so much. Um, in fact, I don't know that I watched any of the, the shows until after the, the new movies started coming out. And then, then my wife and I were kind of like, oh, let's maybe we should check out some of the, the TV mm. shows.
1: Yeah. How about The Mandalorian? Cause that was like massive Mandalorian. Did I pronounce it right? Yeah.
2: Mandalorian. That was
1: like massive. Like, you know, there was all this stuff about, ah, it's, it's got more views than stranger things. And I'm like, what? So I gave it a go and I think I lasted five minutes of the first episode. My wife lasted 30 (laughs) seconds. So as soon as she saw the alien, she was like that and she walked out the room (laughs) and I was like, I'll give it a little longer. And like five minutes in, I was like, ah, you know what? I think I think I'm done too. <laughs> we
2: did We did watch the Mandalorian because I mean, I like I, I love Star Wars, so I will watch anything Star Wars pretty much. although I, I haven't seen the animated series. I hear those are really good, but I haven't I haven't actually I've seen a, a few episodes of like the Clone Wars, but other than that, I haven't gotten into the animated stuff. But all other things Star Wars I, I have seen. Um, but the Mandalorian was uh, uh, again, it was a little bit of a miss for me. I, the, the show felt kind of empty. Like that, that like it was like one of the reasons I love Star Wars. I, I have this this kind of theory of of movies, I guess, or, or TV shows that I've I talked about with my wife, where I, I like a, a movie or a show where the world feels big, where it feels like expansive, where you can like get immersed in, it, like you can yes. imagine like this is a whole universe that actually exists.
0: Mm.
2: And but there are some movies that just don't. Give you that feeling that the world is just too small, mm. um, and I, I I don't know that I can necessarily put my finger on exactly what it is that makes you know a, a show or a movie feel small. But the Mandalorian was one of those that I like. Star Wars is a big universe. That's why I like the movies because it's so imaginative, it's so creative, and that feels like a big universe to me. The Mandalorian just felt too small.
1: Yeah, yeah. I know. I I, I know what you mean, man. I know what you mean. Like that sense of grandeur. Uh, I think that's mm-hmm. one of the things I love about um, Guardians of the Galaxy, apart from the amazing humor in Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, <laughs> it's the sense of grandeur. And, you know, I won't go into this too much because it's not the topic of our conversation for today. But um, whenever, I, whenever I study the Bible with, with people and we get to the topic of heaven, I find a lot of people perceive of heaven as something really small they they don't yes. they don't generally get into like this imagistic view of its grandeur and i don't think you can fully capture it with your imagination but i try and get people to you know expand and you know so i try try and get them to think of like you know things like intergalactic travel and mm-hmm. um you know the capacity to colonize in a good way obviously (laughs) um (laughs) colonize the universe to grow and expand as a society and to constantly be pushing the boundaries into new you know new frontiers um that god has created and yeah you know people are often like really blown away by obviously i can't prove that you know it's not like the bible spells it out but i can imagine you know just using a little bit of Um, imagination like man what God has in store for us and of course like once we end up once we finish having this crazy you know big conversation and I try to make it you know something that is still uh, it's grandeur but it's not it doesn't sound like I pulled it out of a you know fantasy comic book you know I try and keep it relatively (laughs) down to earth but it's still mind-blowing and oftentimes people will say like it's crazy then that the Bible says that our imaginations can hardly grasp what it's going to be like. So anyways,
2: yeah. You know, there's something interesting about that. And I may come back to this idea a little bit later on uh, when we get into talking about uh, interpreting prophecy. Because there, there's a, a similar kind of point that I, I make in regards to that. But I, I find it interesting that the, the Bible doesn't really tell us that much it, it doesn't give us that much specific detail about what heaven is like. Mm. It kind of gives us like broad brushstrokes. And we have, you know, the, obviously the, the imagery in uh, revelation and there there's some, you know, kind of scenes that are depicted there, but, but see, revelation is interesting because it, the, the book is symbolic. Mm. And so it's, it's written in these, these word pictures. Uh, and, and so interpreting that book is, is that, that poses a challenge for us because it's not, most of the book is not literal it's symbolic mm. and so trying to envision what heaven you know might actually be like based on these symbolic word pictures that we're given
0: you know
2: we, we don't have that much specific detail yeah. we we know we know the, the the basic facts and we know kind of the, the, the characteristics of what what life is like in heaven um but there's going to be so much for us to discover and so much for us to explore when we actually get there and i think honestly you know, we wouldn't be able to even wrap our minds around what it's like. Mm. I think God has given us like the, the, like I said, the broad brushstrokes yeah. to whet our appetite and, and help us understand, Hey, this is something that you, know, you can look mm. forward to, but we, we don't have any way to really put into a, a form that we can understand what, what heaven is really going to be like. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. And you know, that,
1: the crazy thing, and you know, this isn't our topic at all. But let's let's just keep going for another minute because this is <laughs> this is fun. <laughs> um, one of the things that I often think about in relation to this is is what I often share with people when, when we're thinking about you know like what what is heaven going to be like? Um, and you're right, like the Book of Revelation, you know, it's it's highly symbolic, and not only is it symbolic, but. Um, the, the authors are expressing things within the, within the, the categories that they're able to, to toy around with, you know? So for example, you know, when, when John says that there's a pearl, uh, every gate of the new Jerusalem, you know, it's like every gate's a, a, a pearl. Um, right. and I'm like, thinking of this from a sort of a, like a nerdy modern perspective, I'm like, if that was a portal, he would have had no category to mm-hmm. describe that. The best right. is if it's some right. sort of a portal with with you know sort of smudged colors, the best that John could say is a pearl, you know. <laughs> so in my head but, but I'm honestly, like, are those
2: portals. <laughs> honestly, I, I prefer that kind of you know sanctified ama- imagination, if yes, you yes, will. So the, the typical way. way where, you know, like the evangelist too, who's going on, you know, describing the new Jerusalem and now, every every gate is is a pearl. Can you imagine the size of that oyster? And I'm just like, bro. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> why, why would you? Why would you think that it's a literal pearl that God plucked out of a giant? Like, have like. Because here here's the thing. We, oh. we were talking earlier about you know like, like Star Wars and Star Trek and and you know I love those imaginative universes. Uh, and the, the, here's the thing, okay everything that we imagine or envision has some basis in reality. Right. That's right. Cause how could you, how could you conceive of it? If it didn't, you know, if it didn't have some connection to something you had seen or heard or touched mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. So every, even our wildest fantasy worlds that we could create have some tether to reality. Mm-hmm. Well, guess who created that reality? So don't, don't you think that whatever we could come up with, like God is like infinitely more yeah, creative?
1: That's right. Absolutely, man. I, I couldn't agree more. And yeah, it, it's, I mean, I think sometimes we want to bring a bit of humor into the conversation, but I think it's important not to, yeah, like, like you're saying, like you can kind of cheapen the depth of what's happening. Um, you know, with this idea of going back to the pearls, um, you know, what are what are we really talking about there? You know, we're talking about a city that's so high. If you stuck it in planet Earth right now, half of it would stick out of the atmosphere. You know, um, and so the possibility, you know, and again, the text doesn't spell it out, but the possibility that what John is really in, is seeing here is, you know, some sort of um, portal or, or something of that degree is is there. You know, and I think. At least when I when I speak with people who weren't raised in church and we we kind of wrestle with the text in that degree and we try and put, you know we try we try and put it within categories that make sense to us, you kind of walk right. away with like, okay, wow, what we're talking about here is not some cartoonish two-dimensional um, idea of utopia, but we're talking about something that's like deeply scientific and 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 deeply physical and experiential. And we've only just scratched the surface, and it's awesome, man! It's awesome. Um, yeah. I, we could go on about this for forever, bro. How did we get <laughs> onto that? I have no idea. <laughs> let's it maybe let's let maybe try and steer is... ourselves over to our uh, <laughs> to the to the to the topic at hand. But um, yeah, I think that would actually be a cool podcast to record in the future, looking at heaven from the perspective of like how can we approach the conversation in a way that will be meaningful to to secular people because i know the way we've talked about heaven at least when i was growing up it's uh it's meaningful um if you've grown up in church but when you're dealing with secular people and this isn't just dealing with secular people even if i mean i suppose in a sense this is secular as well um but if you're interacting with buddhists you know the concept of heaven is a very very tricky concept to interact with the buddhist with um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, so much so that um, missionaries who work among Buddhist primary, primarily Buddhist societies, um, I've, I've, I've heard them say that when you're sharing the gospel with a Buddhist, one of the things that you do not mention at the beginning is heaven. You just don't go there because the moment you mention it, they're done conversation finished <laughs> so you have to slowly get there you know and then once you do get there like how do you unfold it in a way that's actually meaningful for the categories that they're accustomed to so anyways yeah big big question maybe another episode <laughs> um so we want to talk about today um the present scenario that we inhabit and the joys that arrive with the present scenario that we inhabit um so I want to I begin the conversation here uh, because, again, we're talking about things like misinformation, conspiracy theories, the prophetic witness. So I want to start the conversation with how COVID-19 has impacted your spiritual life because, I mean, look, the sort of things that we're talking about have always been around, right? There's always been misinformation. There's always been conspiracy mm-hmm. theories. There's always been the notion of... Um, uh, sort of like taking the biblical narrative the apocalyptic narrative and appropriating it to whatever you want you know that's mm-hmm. always been there uh in fact there's this new thing floating around I do you have you heard of the wormwood prophecy it's like this new thing floating around now it
2: sounds vaguely familiar but i couldn't tell you like any details about it
1: <laughs> yeah it's it's like the new thing now there's like uh all the charismatics um and it was on the Sid Roth, it's Supernatural show, which I absolutely can't stand. But anyways, the whole idea with this whole new Wormwood thing is that there's this guy going around, charismatic guy going around, saying that um, Wormwood, the prophecy of Wormwood in Revelation predicts an asteroid that's gonna crash into the Earth in like 2021 or something, or no, sorry, 2028. So there's gonna be this asteroid. Yeah, anyways, I feel like I've heard, <laughs> I feel like I've
2: heard something kind of similar yeah. to that maybe. It's pretty. It's pretty
1: awkward, but the point is, <laughs> you can always take the apocalyptic witness and appropriate it to whatever task you want to, sure. you know, exemplify or promote. So I want to start with that conversation because I feel like the COVID nineteen season. What it's done is it's taken this already existing milieu and it's given it. You know, it's given it tons and tons of fodder to just like expand and amplify. Um, oh
0: yeah. <laughs>
1: So I want to start there and then I want to sort of like just progress into the broader scheme, but how's, how's the COVID-19 season sort of impacted your personal spiritual life? Um, well, let's start there. Yeah. yeah.
2: That that's a a deep question, really <laughs> with, a, with a lot of facets that, uh, we could explore, uh, it, I'll be honest, it, it's, it's challenged me in some ways, um, because the, you know, the disruption to our routines and our our schedules, you know, that, that has kind of thrown me for a loop in, in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, life is so significantly different now from, I mean, I mean, there's some things that have stayed the same, but yet, you know, particularly when it comes to, to my job, you know, as a pastor, um, so much of my job, you know, revolves around interacting with people. And so to not be able to do that, um, you know, that, that has, that, that's been hard to deal with. That's, that's, I, don't, I, I can't say that I've really adjusted to it, to be honest. And you know, even though you know, as pastors, we try to separate our, our personal spirituality from our, our career, uh, the, the reality is it, it's not that easy to, to draw a hard and fast distinction between the two And so, you know, it it can be challenging, you know, just just speaking from my personal experience, it can can be challenging for a pastor who is not engaged in the normal forms of ministry that, that, you know, that I usually am, you know, to, to feel like, it it can be challenging to feel that spiritual connection with God. And I, you know, obviously I, I want to have a connection with God that exists outside of my career. I would be in trouble if that was the only the, the only connection that I had to God um, but it, it, it creates these feelings of like you know what, what am I doing? you know I, what, what, what do I do with my time now? Uh, and obviously there are other other avenues of ministry that I engage in now um, but they they just don't they, they definitely don't feel the same as what you, you know when you, when you're doing ministry you know, actually in the physical presence of someone else, you know, when I'm over at our school, you know, uh, playing basketball with our, with our uh, eighth graders or, you know, whatever it is that I might be doing, it, it's just not the same. And so it, 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 there's a feeling of emptiness, you know, it's, it, it's like, what, what is my purpose? You know, where, where is my value, um, at, at, you know, as, as a pastor, as a, as a disciple of Jesus, so it, it's been challenging. I'll I'll be honest, it's, it's, it's tough. Yeah. Um, but on, I guess the, I don't know if I'd say on the bright side exactly, but I think it is a a good outcome. It has really forced me to reevaluate my priorities and, and really think about, okay, you know, what if everything that, that I just accepted as a normal part of my life Everything I took for granted. What if that was stripped away? What would I have left? Um, and I think we need those moments. We need those wake-up calls where we really wrestle with w- what it. What are my priorities? What matters most to me in life? And am I actually investing the majority of my time and my energy and my resources into those
0: things? Mm.
2: Yeah,
1: man. I I resonated with pretty much everything you just said bro (laughs) like yeah I've been navigating the same thing and I think the more difficult part is as well in in my experience is that it doesn't matter how you adjust to the present scenario it's still a band-aid like it's not the ideal Mm -hmm. you know like you can can get really creative and do some really cool stuff and I'm super proud of you know everyone who's really stepped up to the plate and done that but there's a craving at the end of the day for that incarnation you know for that being present and being with um and yeah like that's that's been that's been really tough on on my end and i think it's been tough on a lot of a lot of our pastors a lot of our members as well um and i wanted to start out with this question because i feel like a lot of times when we talk about things like misinformation and conspiracy theories and you know um appropriating the apocalyptic narrative for weird things i i feel like many times what we do is we have a caricature in our minds of the kind of people who are engaged in that sort of thing and the caricature is usually like you know the weird crazy guy who lives in his mom's basement and has no life um you know (laughs) um (laughs) or 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 the uh um the guy out in the middle of the woods with a chainsaw and um, <laughs> wearing camo, yeah. and it's not even hunting season. Um, <laughs> like <laughs> we, we kind of like imagine these really bizarre people, and they're out there for sure, I've met them. But I feel like sometimes, at least from a pastoral perspective, what, what we're dealing with as well is not always this sort of weirdness, but what we're dealing with is people who are navigating existential anxieties to the best of their mm-hmm. ability. And that these types of things seem to fill a void or satisfy a desire of some sort for for meaning, for order out of the chaos, Um, you know, sort of.
2: Absolutely. yeah. Kind of
1: makes you susceptible to that. And and I say that because like I can look back like let me let me say something right off the bat um, as we as we go into this whole concept, we dig a little deeper. Conspiracy theories are fun. (laughs) all right like we we gotta stop acting like you know conspiracy theories are just like i mean something only idiots buy into like they're fun there's so much fun there's a reason why the born series is so awesome right like there's a reason why we love the movie shooter like we these like a high you know high caliber intense sort of like uh thrillers you know government thrillers it's it's always the ones with a conspiracy that are the fun ones to watch, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> um, if conspiracy theories weren't weren't fun, those movies would not be as popular as they are. So there's a sense in which they're in which they're fun. Um, but I can also, you know, like obviously, there's a difference between enjoying a movie that you know is fictional and then sort of orienting and categorizing your life according to these ideas. And and I can think back to my own experience that most of the times when I was most susceptible to conspiracy narratives, um. I had something else in my life that was out of, out of balance, and this was kind of like a nice escape. Um, so I wanted to launch off from your personal sort of like the challenges you're facing, the existential challenges you're facing um, in this particular scenario, and, and maybe look a little bit broader at our faith community. How do you feel that this is impacting us as a faith community and, um, uh, you know, enlarge. large um, because there certainly has been an amplification of the sensational, right? Um, so, yeah, yeah, talk to me a little bit about that. From your, like, how do you feel this is impacting our faith community in large?
2: Well, I want to touch on something you, you said a minute ago too, where you were talking about, you know, that uh, conspiracy theories are fun. Uh, I want to acknowledge another point about them as well: is that there there is a grain of truth in the conspiracy theory worldview, Mm. Uh, because there, there are real conspiracies. And and this is a point where most conspiracy theorists will be quick to to, throw this out in your face. If you, if you challenge them on their conspiracy theory, they'll be like, Oh, what about, and they'll, you know, they'll bring up some conspiracy that actually was proven true. Um, an easy example is, um, the Tuskegee syphilis experiments. So that that was this, uh, it it was a a medical experiment that was run by government uh, public health officials Mm. um, who were, they were basically monitoring the progression of syphilis in African-American men. Uh, The the problem with this experiment arises when uh, uh, it was discovered that they were the, the government public health officials were instructing the doctors who were helping with this study not to treat these patients even after uh, you know, there, there were treatments that were discovered that could help with, with syphilis. They, they wanted to watch the progression of the disease, and so they're watching men you know, go blind and, and lose their minds and even die as a result of this disease, and they're telling doctors, well, you know, don't, don't give them treatments. So they can watch, you know, study the, the progression of the disease. And this went on for like 40 years before another public health official, um, I think from San Francisco, his name escapes me right now, but, um, he, uh, he found out what was happening and eventually went to, the, to, uh, a reporter friend of his, he went, he went to the press, uh, and the story blew up and there was public outrage and congressional hearings. Um, And so one one thing I've noticed is that um, in the African-American community to this day, there's a lot of skepticism um, toward public health officials and and government health officials Mm -hmm. because there have been real, you know, I don't know if you'd consider that a conspiracy or not, but it it was a case where the government was, you know, concealing information from them to their detriment uh, and so that made them understandably distrustful, uh, of the government. So it, that, that is a point that I want to acknowledge very early on is there, there is some truth behind that conspiracy theory worldview. And I say that as somebody who is extremely skeptical
0: mm.
2: of most conspiracy theories, I, but I, I just want to acknowledge that I, I, it, there it's understandable to a certain extent, why people would be drawn toward those theories if you if you recognize that there are times when uh, the government or the media or whatever organization it may, might be has acted in ways that are dishonest and untrustworthy uh, it, it's much easier than to accept uh, the idea of conspiracy theories um, and, and I, I have to admit that I have to admit there are times when the government and the media and you know, large corporations and whoever else have acted in unscrupulous ways. That, that is true. Um, the, the, the challenge I think arises when we, so, so there's, I, I would differentiate between a conspiracy, you know, something like the Tuskegee syphilis experiments, which, which we know about are they're documented. There's, you know, there were investigations into it. We, we have that documentation. There's a difference between something like that. And what I would describe as the conspiracy theory worldview Mm. Where, you know, you you see those kinds of conspiracy conspiracies behind almost everything, yeah. And they're infiltrating, you know, every aspect of of life. Yeah. You know, it's it's the media, it's the government, it's education, it's entertainment. You know, they're all controlled by this secretive cabal of evil masterminds. That to me becomes more problematic when, when you have this conspiracy theory worldview where everything is, you know, becomes a big conspiracy. And I think what we see happening right now with with this pandemic is you see the the fruit of that worldview, you know, really coming out in a lot of these uh, theories about what's going on with coronavirus. So you have everything from, from people who say, you know, oh, it's all, it's, it's a hoax. It, it, it doesn't actually exist. You know, it's just the media has manufactured all this hype. Mm-hmm. to other people who are saying, you know, oh, it's real, but it was planned. You know, Bill Gates was behind it or some other, you know, influential, powerful person was behind it. They, they are intentionally infecting people so they can advance, you know, whatever agenda it is that they're trying to advance. Um, so you, you can see you, you see all these different conflicting conspiracy theories coming out, you uh, that are not really rooted in reality.
1: Yeah. So when you look at the sort of the emotional state, the milieu that we're currently immersed in as a church, what what do you think are some of the some of the underlying things that are you know like someone sees this thing and they're like Oh, this must be true, right? Because there, there's a there, there's kind of like a there's kind of like a, a process that takes place there. Like for example, mm-hmm. um, we're both surfing our Facebook news feed and <laughs> you will see a video uh, on you know what's really going on, so to speak, uh, and I'll see the same video, and then you look at it and you immediately filter it, and you're like. Not not interested, and then someone else looks at it, and there's an immediate like,
0: oh,
1: you know, ah, oh, this is this is what I've been looking for, sort of thing. Like, what what do you think is the sort of maybe the differentiating factor? It might be might be something that maybe it's a bit, bit too deep for us, because you know you're talking you know some pretty deep psychological stuff probably at play. Mm-hmm. But what 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 would be at least from a pastoral perspective something that you see bleeds into that experience,
2: D- driving that driving that interest that desire. Yeah. You touched on it already um, with, you know, the, the fact that we're facing an existential crisis right now because of this pandemic uh, and not just the pandemic, but um, the economic shutdown that has resulted from it. Yeah. Uh, which by the way, I, I will go on the record and say that I, I think that those, those measures were necessary. You know, the shutting businesses down, um, you know, shutting churches down. I I think that those were important steps to take uh, to slow the spread of uh, this, you know, previously unknown virus. However, I also recognize that that is having a devastating impact on our economy. Mm. Uh, It's having a a psychological and emotional impact on people. Uh, And, you know, that's something that we have to to wrestle with. And I'm not saying that, you know, we should open everything back up because the cost is too high. I'm just saying that that, that, that you know they, these are issues that we have to, to to deal with, and so you know we we are facing that existential crisis. Yeah. Uh, because of you know we we've never been through anything like this in our lifetimes. Um, right. I know this is this is said all the time, but it is true that this is unprecedented. <laughs> like we, we have not lived through something like this hmm. uh in in our lifetimes. And, and so people don't have, you know, how, how do you develop, uh, you know, coping mechanisms for something you never experienced? Mm. And, and, and you touched on this when you were talking about the, 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 the search for meaning, you know, people are trying to make meaning out of this chaos. Uh, and I think that's a big part of the reason why people are drawn to conspiracy theories, uh, is because they're, they're trying to find some kind of meaning, some kind of reason yep. behind it all. And, and human beings by nature um, are, are meaning makers, mm. right? That, that we, we do this in, in every area of life. We, we try to make meaning out of things. And, and we try to find patterns in things. Um, it's like those optical illusions. I don't know if you've ever seen the optical illusion where there's like a, a black background and then there's like three white circles and there's like a little triangle shape cut out of each circle and nothing else. That, that's all there is. But you're, mm-hmm. when you look at that image, you see a, a large triangle be- between those three circles with the little, you know, segments that are cut out because your brain automatically fills in the blanks. It's looking for a pattern. Ah, yep. So I mean, it's the same reason why, you know, we would look up at the stars in the sky or the clouds, and we see shapes, we see recognizable shapes, so you know, animals or faces or things like that. Mm. Our, our brains naturally look for patterns. Yeah. We, we look to fill in the blanks. Well, we, we do this uh, emotionally, psychologically as well. Um, and so when we have these different, you know, pieces of information, you know, floating around us about, you know, coronavirus, you know, information about, you know, what, what the disease may be doing, uh, physically to people, information about what's happening economically, uh, you know what's happening politically as a result of this. We're trying to put together those pieces in some way that makes sense.
0: Mm.
2: We're, we're trying to find the pattern right yeah yeah And one way that one way that people do that is by by turning to these conspiracy theories because conspiracy theories for better or worse, they give you a very clear pattern. They mm. connect the dots.
1: Yeah. They fill in the blanks that, right. that you, you, you're trying to fill in yourself. Yeah,
2: that's right. And that's, I mean, that honestly, that's, it, it's a weakness in my view, because there's a lot of leaps of logic involved in, in making those patterns mm. and filling in those blanks. Um, but for somebody, I, I understand the appeal for somebody who's searching for that meaning, who, who's trying to bring order out of chaos Hmm. um there's another aspect of this i'll get to in a second but i wanted to let you um respond to what i had just said but there's another piece of that that i think connects as well
1: yeah well what what i was going to do what i was actually going to ask next because you know one of the one of the challenges that um one of the challenges that i face with this again is like human beings are so complex like what Mm -hmm. the, the the present conversation that we're having is is extremely complex uh you've alluded to this already there's different types of conspiracy theories right there's local conspiracies and then there's global conspiracies right right um and then but you also have universal conspiracies so this is the belief that you know alien overlords reptilians have like you know entered earth you know sort of like the universal conspiracy they've they're they're they're, they're trans uh you know um uh what's the word i'm looking for uh, extraterrestrial sorry Sort of conspiracies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have the global conspiracies where you, you sort of have like this cabal of people at the top um, who are kind of controlling everything, you know, maybe may Jewish bankers or something, you know. Um, and, and then you have sort of like your local conspiracies, which is like, you know, you mentioned um with the with the with the the syphilis crisis there so there's uh, you know and and then within each of those there's a long category you know of Mm -hmm. you know there's like all these subcategories so within the local there's tons of subcategories and some of them are true some of them are false and within the global there's tons of you know subcategories and so you'll have people whose global conspiracy is influenced by uh, a particular evangelical understanding of prophecy or a particular geopolitical secular understanding of the way things are unfolding or even is uh, an islamic perspective you know there's all these different you know like um and then of course with the sort of extraterrestrial or transhuman sort of conspiracy theories um or or you have even the um supernatural conspiracy theories where you get into demonology and all these things it's just it's it's complicated, man. Like it's <laughs> it's yeah. definitely not like this super simple, you know. Um, it's it's very complicated, and so um, you know, one one of the things that I interacted with recently um was uh, the the conspiracy theory that sort of goes all the way back to the Bible and rereads scripture through the perspective of um, it ba- basically takes the text where it says that the sons of daughter. And this, you know, the the, the sons of men and, and uh, sorry, the sons of God and the daughters of men made it and they had, you know, right, children. Right. And it sort of takes this perspective to suggest that to them, to the, you know, the, the, the sons of God were angels and the daughters of men are, you know, humans. And they had this human angel, angelic human hybrids and that these angelic human hybrids um, have basically coexisted with the human race uh, and mm. and that the angelic human hybrid still exists today and that they're trying to control the world and they control the archaeology department. So you can't trust history and, they you know, like all this crazy <laughs> stuff is like, well, once you buy into the, <laughs> you know, so it's real, real quick.
2: Let, let me just say in regards to that, um, you, you've hit on what, what I feel is kind of the hallmark of conspiracy theories, mm. uh, and that is that they are not falsifiable. Mm. You can't you, you cannot disprove them that's right i want to get to that i want to yeah,
1: get to you, you, yeah
0: should, should we hold off on that yeah hold off on it?
1: that for a sec because I I, okay. I I i i want to i want to work my way up to that um sure. that's that's really, we'll really, come back really to a really that. good point yeah yeah um so put put a pin on it don't forget it don't forget it but um the, the basic point I'm trying to make now is just, like, we're, we're talking about something complicated, and then people are complicated, right? Like, there's people, there's, like, you know, the old guy, you know, wearing camo when it's not hunting season with a chainsaw in the middle of the woods who, you know, who has all these crazy ideas. Um, and, and then there's people of all stripes and colors and education and, you know... Um, and you've got people who are you know have mental health disorders who are probably going online peddling things and it's like you know everybody else believes in have no idea the guy's a schizophrenic you know uh, you've got the whole sort of like Russian troll thing <laughs> you know it's it's complicated man like I and I hope everyone listening can can appreciate at least the degree to which you know the complexity that's involved here um, mm-hmm. and then there's certainly a, a level of ignorance involved as well. Like I think of the, you know, flat earth theories and things like that, you know, there's a level of ignorance oh my goodness. involved as well. Okay. That,
2: that is one, that, that yeah. one, I, I like, there's some conspiracy theories that I'm like, okay, I can see how people believe that flat earth, just that one hurts my brain. I'm it, just it, like, yeah, same here. But you I, I don't know, know. Know. <laughs> Yeah. What can you do? I mean, I, I, guess, <laughs> I guess if you get to a point where you're just so distrustful of anyone who's called an expert you know like you're distrustful mm-hmm. with everybody in the government you're distrustful with everybody in science yeah. i guess you could get to a point where you'd, you'd be like well how do we know that the earth is round like yeah but i mean there's, there's even there's simple things that every person can observe that would it to me it seems like what should disprove this anyway I don't want to get off on a rabbit hole on that but that that one just that that hurts my brain (laughs) yeah
1: i i I, i've often said though if solipsism can exist uh, almost anything can exist so (laughs) so for, for those who might be unfamiliar with the history of philosophy solipsism is the belief that nothing exists except your own consciousness and everything that you observe is simply a manifestation of your subconscious so matthew you don't really exist you're just a manifestation of my subconscious Uh, And this chair I'm sitting on, this (laughs) microphone, this screen, none of this is real. It's just a manifestation of my subconscious. Um, So the problem, and again, with solipsism is that it's non-falsifiable, right? Like any sort of evidence that you cite against it is simply part of the illusions. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, But anyways, we'll get back to that in a second. So um, what I wanted to aim towards is you know you you've got all this complexity and a lot of times what i find is when you go toe-to-toe with people over a particular conspiracy theory what you end up is you end up playing this never-ending ping pong game um uh, and so what i want to know i'm more interested in people who are simply sincerely trying to make order out of chaos Mm -hmm. um so I'm not really interested in you know getting people who are diehard conspiracy theorists to agree with us because as far as they're concerned, you and I are Jesuits, so it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> but you know, for for the, I mean, we're married, so it kind of disqualifies us. But that, notwithstanding the fact that we're married, um, details, details. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so the the I, ha- I had a friend of mine one time who was called a, a Jesuit by a guy in the church, and she's a woman, and she's like, "Uh, wrong gender here, buddy."
0: So, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh my
1: goodness. So for I'm thinking more of the sincere, I'm thinking more of the, 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 just the, the, the sincere person who's just trying to make cha- order out of the chaos, trying to make sense okay. out of the nonsense and, um, and they're that saying actually, all that... these different things, right? Like how, how do such people, first of all, let's start with this. How can they identify? misinformation like what what are are there sort of like red flags things that they can look at and say okay um i know i'm trying to make order out of chaos but this is not you know like this is misinformation does that make sense i don't yeah. know if my question makes any sense yeah, yeah. i hope it makes sense
2: i actually i'm gonna i'm gonna throw a curveball here for for a second go real quick because I, I think you need to go back one step from that if you if you really want to um reach people who are attracted to conspiracy theories because i I think that at some point it can be helpful to, to talk about, you know, how to, how to identify misinformation hmm. and how to, how to tell good sources from bad sources. But I think, I think you have to get to the, the emotional heart of why people gravitate to these theories before you can get to that more intellectual component. And it, the, I, the direction you were going there for a second, I actually thought you were going to kind of hit on this. Hmm. Um, you know, like the, the, the people who are trying to make meaning out of the chaos, right? Mm. Um that, that ties in with the other point I was going to make about why people are drawn to conspiracy theories. Um, is they want to maintain and, and this is true for true of all of us. We we express it in different ways. I like I may not I may not be drawn to conspiracy theories, but there are other ways that I express the same uh desire, and that is to maintain the illusion of control.
0: Mm.
2: We want to believe that we have far more control over. Uh, our lives than we really do. Yeah. Because there's, there's a sense of comfort in that, right? Mm. Like if, if you know, if you really think about how little control we do have over our lives and how many things threaten our very existence at any given moment, you know, like, like with this coronavirus, there have been people who, you know, downplayed the the threat because they said, Oh, well, look how many people die in car accidents, you know, well, car accidents aren't contagious. But I mean, it it is true. Like there are a number of things that we do Mm. on a regular basis that could kill us, you know, driving in the car, Mm. um, you know, any number of, uh, you know, hiking in the wilderness. You know, there have been people who've attacked by bears or have gone off the trail and gotten lost and died. I mean, anything that you do has a certain degree of of risk associated with it. Right. Living itself is a risk. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and so if we lived in constant awareness of everything that was an existential threat to us, we wouldn't be able to function.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So that illusion of, you know, control, it, 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 it's actually a coping mechanism that allows us to function. So we, we think, well, you know, I'm a safe driver, you know, I pay attention. I don't text and drive, so I'll be okay on the roads, you know, or we go hiking we think, okay, well, I'm going to stay on the trail. You know, i uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to bring my bear spray or whatever. So we, we do these things and you know, we, we take these precautions and we tell ourselves it's going to be okay. You know, I, I, I can manage the risks, even though, you know, we, we don't really have control over those things, right? We, we can, we can, we can do things to minimize our risk, but we ultimately can't eliminate that risk. That's right. So with, with, with conspiracy theories, conspiracy theories are one way to help people um, maintain that illusion of control because we, we just can't face that, that, existential reality uh, that I'll I'll use the example of this tornado that came through this area recently. Nobody's going to stop that, right?
0: Hmm.
2: You know, there's nothing you can do. You know, if the storm's coming, you can go and hide in the basement and pray, but you can't stop the storm from coming. And those things terrify us, you know, hurricanes, earthquakes, tornadoes, those kind of natural disasters terrify us because we know how helpless and powerless we are in the face of them. So when we're facing something like this pandemic, it's it's very much the same. Yeah. I, I can't I can't stop the virus, I can't cure the virus, you know. But what if somebody else could? Mm. Okay? What if somebody else is behind it? What if it was engineered in a laboratory and released on purpose? You know, what if this is all a ploy to push mandatory vaccinations on people? And so they're gonna release the virus and a bunch of people will get sick and then they'll say, Ha, we have the cure. Mm-hmm. See that makes me in a weird sort of way maybe that makes me feel better cuz even if i'm not in control at least somebody else is mm. and even if that person is an evil person who's doing evil things with their control at least it's control mm. and see it also maybe gives me a sense of hope that hey if i'm able to identify the person who who has that control you know maybe i can expose them and or, or oppose them and then i can take back my control mm. right so this is where I feel faith is, is in God is essential. A, a right understanding of what faith in God really means is essential for combating the, this conspiracy theory mindset. Because if I truly have faith in God, see, that requires me to give up my illusion of control over my life, mm. right? That, that, I mean, that, that's the whole that, – that's the – the central idea behind the gospel is that i cannot save myself
0: yeah
2: i, I need jesus to save me hmm. and in order to do that i have to surrender everything to him i, I can't hold some peace back and say well no, I, I want this part of my life that i'm going to have you know control over i'm going to hmm. say what happens no i've got to give everything to him and then i have to trust him that regardless of what happens to me in this life even if i die that he has my eternal future secured hmm. And I think the challenge for a lot of Christians is they don't actually have that level of faith in God. Mm-hmm. They may go to church. They may read their Bible. You know, they may know all the, the doctrines of the church, but they don't actually have an, an assurance and, and a peace and a faith in God that allows them to face, you know, a, a crisis like this pandemic and, and not be shaken by it, not, not be rattled by it. Yeah. And so I think that is that I think is Maybe the first step is is to hone in on that and help people understand what it means to truly have faith in God. What it means to trust in God. Um, you know, uh, that, uh, there, I love that Psalm where it talks about. Um, I want to say it's Psalm eighty six, but I'm not sure if that's right. But it, it's talking about the the though the the earth be shaken and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll trust in God. Our, our God is a, a refuge. Let me see if I can find it real quick because I'm. <laughs> feel like I'm butchering it. <laughs> um, I love
1: what you're saying though, because there's a sense in which we'll, you know uh, and 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 I'll speak from my own experience here that when I embraced my vulnerability and when I made peace with the fact that I'm not in control. That's when my desire for conspiracy theories, because I used to be really into them, um, and that's when that desire kind of dissipated. And and I want to make something clear here as well, because one of the things one of the things I struggled with when I was into conspiracy theories was this false dichotomy, where it's like you're either into the conspiracy theories or your head's stuck in the sand, mm-hmm. right? It's this false dichotomy mm-hmm. of either you're into the conspiracy theories and you know what's really going on. Or you're just some and, idiot whose head is stuck in the sand, who doesn't know And the people,
2: the people who push conspiracy theories intentionally create that false dichotomy because they want you to believe that unless you're listening to them and, and following what they say is going on, then you're just a, a deluded sheep.
1: That's right. Yeah, exactly. And so what, what I discovered is actually, and this is where kind of where we'll end our conversation in a little bit, with the, the whole idea of you know what has God revealed. What I found is that there's a middle point. You know, like there are, man, there are tons of people who are deluded sheep. Like that's kind of like society's always been that way, you know. Um, Most people are followers, not leaders. Yeah, exactly. You know, Um, but there's this false dichotomy that's like you're either listening to all this crazy stuff or you're a deluded sheep. But it's like, no, there's actually a middle ground where you're saying, God, what have you revealed? Let me focus on that and leave the rest in your hands, you know, rather than trying to pursue what you have not revealed um i think ellen white says something really cool um in i don't remember where it's written but she says that many people in their pursuit to discover what god has not revealed overlook what he has seen seen fit to reveal Mm -hmm. um and and so what i discovered was if i focus on what and, and here's the practical aspect of it if i focus on what god has revealed if i put my focus on that i literally do not have the time to watch your 30 part DVD series on the New World Order. Like, I literally, I just don't have the time. I'm too busy focusing on what God has revealed. And there's so much there. There's so much depth and so much transformational uh, beauty and potential that I just don't have the time for your insane DVD. You know? <laughs> so, well, it's, the, the, it's the on thing a is,
2: level, if... it's that simple. Yeah. And it's like, the thing is, if I felt that there was something to be gained from it, Mm. like watching that YouTube video or DVD series could deepen my faith in God, maybe I would do it, but I have, I have zero faith if you will, (laughs) that I'm going to gain anything from that experience, you know, because, because I can, you know, I can watch the first few seconds or even sometimes just see the title of the YouTube video and know exactly the direction that this person is going to go. And I'm like, no, this is not, what I want to invest my time in yeah. my, you know, my time is so limited. If this was something going to be something worthwhile, sure. Maybe I would invest it in this, but is, is this actually going to help me trust in Jesus more or is this going to make me fearful and skeptical and, mm. uh, 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 you know, untrusting of, of everybody else around me and, yeah. uh, and mad at them because they don't see the truth. And mm. so I, I did find the Psalm, it's Psalm 46 um, where it says, God is our refuge and strength and ever present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. And to me, that that is so crucial when we're when we're talking about conspiracy theories, because the conspiracy theories are many of them rooted in fear. Mm-hmm. It's fear of you know these powerful forces who are controlling you know the entire world. Um, it, it's fear that they're trying to harm us in some way. And it's like, you know, th- this psalm is saying, look, it doesn't matter what is happening. God is our refuge and strength. And if we're trusting him, I don't have to be afraid, even though the world around me is falling apart. And I mean, right now it feels like it is, mm. you know, I mean, here, you know, here we've got the, a pandemic. Now we have a tornado ripped through like the world is falling apart. But God is our refuge. And so if, if we can get people to a place where they're focusing more on their faith in God than they are on all the scary things that might be happening behind the scenes in the world. Um, I think, th- th- I think they'd be so much healthier for that, mm. you know, and here, I don't know if you, if you're, uh, if you want to get into prophecy at all or not, but I think this is a particularly a challenge for seventh day Adventists because we do have that really strong prophetic uh, prophetic framework in our theology. I think the hard part for us is, We don't necessarily see it as conspiracy theories. We see it as like understanding the fulfillment of prophecy, right? Mm -hmm. You know what's going on behind the scenes. Well, you know God told us in the Bible; He gave us these prophecies, and so we look at it as you know we're finding those, we're we're uncovering those fulfillments of prophecy, not so much as you know a conspiracy theory that's that's built on fear. Um, But I, I still think you know God didn't give us prophecy. So that we could speculate about what's going to happen, in, you know, at the end of time, he gave us prophecy so that we would see that he's guiding the events of human history, and he's working in human history throughout, yeah. you know, the, our our entire uh, the entire trajectory of Earth's history, and he's mm-hmm. going to bring it to a conclusion. That's right. And, 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 and it's would, to strengthen our faith in Him. Yeah,
1: and and I would add to that as well that generally speaking, when we look at the prophetic witness, what what God is giving us, and particularly when you're looking at apocalyptic sort of eschatological literature, He's given us broad strokes that we can recognize the you know sort of the movements. If you want to use modern terminology, you could you could recognize the the geopolitical trends with these broad strokes. Um, and so this is a this is a, a point I made in a recent um, a recent podcast that there is a really big difference. For example, you know people will ask me about the new world order, and I'll say, well, look, I mean, here's what I feel about the new world order. The book of Daniel tells us that the kingdoms of the world will not mix until Jesus returns. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's a sense in which there's no more one world sort of superpower that's going to control the whole world like Babylon and Greece and medo Persia did, right? Like. The kingdoms remain divided To the end of time Now in the book of Revelation You do have this sort of um, Really brief mention Of the kingdoms of the world Sort of coming together You know Warring against God And you have Jesus Talking about all the nations Persecuting God's people There's a sense of unity in that Um, And so I said Look What the Bible does give us then Is it gives us this broad stroke That there's some sort of sense In which people Will come together At the end of time To sort of rage against God But that's a world of difference like that's a broad stroke that is a world of difference that's a world apart from the extremely elaborate detailed um rabbit hole new world new world order narratives that you find from guys like Malachi Martin and you know and others like They're two totally different things. Like if you're telling me, hey, will there be some sort of new world order? Ah, but potentially there's some sort of unification that we could potentially consider. But that is nowhere near. You know, it's a broad stroke that God's given so that we're aware, like, oh, when these things happen, you can know my coming is near. That's so Mm -hmm. different from me spending hours and hours and hours pouring through everyone who's a Freemason and everyone who's Illuminati and you know who you know which which Pope is gonna do this and he's in Liu with that guy and that guy over there and they're gonna go over here and they're gonna you know do it's just like no that's yeah. not yeah. what prophecy is prophecy when it gives us its witness is generally painting in in broad strokes so that we're aware of the movements of time, the trends. Yes. But it's not actually- diving us into this it's not putting a smack into the slough of despond, right? To quote from uh, yes. uh, uh, John Bunyan, right? The slough of despondency that you find in elaborate conspiracy theories.
2: I'm so glad you made that point because I was actually thinking of that earlier at some point when, when, you, had, when you were talking about, you know, prophecy and interpreting prophecy. Because I'm, I'm I'm totally in agreement with you. It's it's the broad brushstrokes. That, that's the point I was going to make uh, the, the connection. When we were talking about heaven, right? The descriptions of heaven. And I was saying it's, it's broad brushstrokes, but we're not really given a lot of specific details. And I, I see prophecy very much the same way. There are a few key details that, that we're, we're given, but most of it is it's the highlights, you know, what we're not given a, a, a detailed, you know, specific timeline of this is going to happen and then that will happen and then that will happen. And and. and I I, I always go back to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, when he's giving his sermon about the end of the world to his disciples, where he's telling them watch and be ready because you do not know when the son of man is going to return. Mm. In other words, you always have to be ready, always be watching, always ready because you don't know when it's going to happen. And it's like, okay, so if prophecy was going to give us that, you know, detailed time chart of the end of the world, here's when everything's going to happen. How would we need to watch and be ready at all times? Mm wouldn't that fly in the face of what Jesus had said? Yeah. Yeah. Cause there
1: would be a very strong sense in which you could piece together the timeline if it was that elaborate.
2: And that, and that's to me, ultimately a lot of times, what conspiracy theories can lead to is it becomes a form of, of soft date setting for the second coming. Mm. You know, they're not going to pick a date and say, Oh, Jesus is coming on, you know, March 22, 2024 or whatever, but it becomes a way of, you know, you know, the Sunday law is just around the corner. And they'll cite some statement that the po- Pope made recently or something. To me, that's a form of soft date setting. Mm. That's saying, oh, you know, here, you know, the Sunday law is going to be passed. And that's, you know, i the final events. And then Jesus is going to come.
0: Yeah. And
2: I mean, I've seen could a lot that, of that
1: happen? Actually, from even from some popular speakers, I won't drop any names because that's, you know, um, not my jam. But like I have seen that from <laughs> some popular speakers who are kind of like, oh, the Sunday law is going to be passed uh, this month of next year or within the next two uh, years, see, right? And it's not the first time that it's happened. It's happened in the past as well with popular speakers before it was like, oh, the Sunday law is gonna be passed on this month of this year, and then it doesn't happen. And it's like, come on, bro, like.
0: <laughs> yeah, and that, see,
2: that, that's another thing with conspiracy theories is if if their predictions uh, fail to come to pass, you never hear them go back and and correct that. Yeah, um, you, you, they, they never go back again. and they just choose a new one. Like, I don't know if you remember, and I, I'm trying to remember the year on this. I wanna say it was like 2015. It was when Obama was president uh, and they had the, the Jade Helm military exercises in Texas. Do you remember that?
0: No, I don't remember. Yeah. Okay. There was a a
2: whole big conspiracy theory about this. It's called Jade Helm. And it was, it was some kind of military exercise or war game or something that was happening in Texas. And there is this whole big conspiracy theory that Obama was mounting some kind of martial takeover of the state of Texas. I mean, all this, crazy stuff and of course the military came in they did their exercises they left everybody went home nothing happened
0: mm.
2: and it's like I, I don't i don't remember seeing any one of those people who was pushing that conspiracy theory come out and go well i guess we got this one wrong guys mm. you know, they just move on to the next conspiracy theory yeah, they yeah. just move on to the next <laughs> big plot and then they, they never acknowledge oh yeah that, that didn't actually come to pass and the problem is we we can fall in the same trap with with prophetic fulfillment right mm. Where we make a prediction about, oh, this prophecy is going to be fulfilling. This is going to happen. And then it doesn't happen. And we just ignore it and move on and we're on to the next prediction. Mm. And you end up becoming the boy who cried wolf. Yeah. And after a while, people stop taking you seriously yep. and, and listening, except for the people who, you know, agree with you and, and share that conspiratorial mindset. But the rest of the world is just like,
0: mm. you yep. know, what, why, why,
2: why would you listen to this person? Yeah well let's
1: let's let's take a few more um a jab at a few more things before we wrap up um so let's 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 talk let's let's dive into this whole idea of of misinformation because that's obviously a thing like any joe schmo can jump on facebook and share a meme um by the way if your concept of truth comes from memes i will pray for you um, but, um, <laughs> look, understand that memes are extremely funny, but you can't nuance them because if you nuance a meme, it loses its memeness. It's no longer, um, yeah, it's no so longer a meme. You <laughs> cannot nuance a meme. Uh, so please don't, don't take your cues of what is right and wrong or true and false from a meme. But, uh, the point is, you know, it's not just memes, it's articles, it's videos. How, how do people who are honestly and sincerely trying to piece things together, Um, what are some practical things they can do and say, all right, like, yeah, this is, this is misinformation because people fall for this. I see people fall for some of the dumbest stuff, you know? Um,
2: but what are some things they can do? So I wrote a whole long comment about this on someone's uh, Facebook post recently, which you you had seen and had commented on. It's actually how we got to this, uh, podcast because you (laughs) like what i said. And I went back and I tried to find what I had written and I think the post got deleted. And so I wasn't able to, to recover exactly what I'd said, but I will try to piece together the, the kind of the gist of, of what I had written. Uh, I, I was kind of contrasting, or, or, or I guess analyzing like how you, uh, analyzing how trustworthy media source is based on a, a few different factors. Um, the, the post that was shared was from a, a political blog. I think the name of it was like conservative treehouse or something like that. And and I pointed out like right away the the fact that it calls itself, you know, conservative treehouse that tells you what their political bias is right right from the start. Um, there's there, there's some other ones out there, too. I, I see on Facebook all the time, like uh, memes and posts from uh, occupied Democrats or, um, uh, share blue is another one that I've seen. They're telling you what their biases right from the start. So you need to go into that with, with, with eyes open and understand that the stuff that they're, they're saying is likely going to have whatever bias they're revealing to you that, that they have. Um, now this is where it gets tricky because some people firmly believe that all mainstream media is liberal biased, and so if if you cite something like CNN or uh, MSNBC or CBS, ADC, any of those major you know news networks, um, they'll say, "Oh, well, that they have a liberal bias." And so here's where my take on this is: I know will not be accepted by everyone, but this this is kind of how I see it. Major news organizations uh, you know, like, like the ones I just mentioned are not perfect. They don't always get it right. And I I myself have a lot of issues with our, our current news business model that the 24 hour news cycle where we're we're constantly, you know, trying to find some new story that we can get clicks and views and, and whatever out of, I, I have a lot of issues with that. However, I do still see value in the idea of, of a mainstream press where there's certain journalistic standards that they're following before they'll publish a story, right? There, there's certain expectations that are are put on them because if they screw up, guess what? All the other networks are going to pounce and point out how their competitors screwed up because they're competing for that viewership, right? They're, They're competing for, for, for people to trust their news source is reliable. And so if they post something or or put something on TV that, that's not reliable, uh, their competitors are going to chew them up and spit them out, right? So there there's at least a little bit of a safeguard there that when you're dealing with a, a, a major news network that there's a lot of scrutiny, you know, on, that it, it it helps safeguard against them sharing information that's, you know, just outright false or outright fabricated. It does happen occasionally, but... Generally speaking, you know, it does not happen. The other thing is um, there's a lot more scrutiny from fact checkers, right? Because there's fact checkers, independent fact checkers who can come along and say, you know, CNN made this claim. Was it, was it true or not? Um, And that that their high profile, you know, makes it such that, you know, that there is going to be a lot more pressure from those fact checkers, right? But in contrast to that, you've got, you know, all kinds of political blogs, Uh, You know, kind of independent, you know, journalist sources, which some of which can be good, but um, there's much less pressure on them to get it right. Because if conservative treehouse posts a bogus story, who fact checks them? Right. There's there's how many more conservative blogs just like them. You know, there's much less scrutiny, much less pressure for them to get it right. And their goal isn't necessarily to uh, convince their, their readers or their viewers that they're trustworthy. Their, their goal is to just get clicks. Their goal is to just, you know, raise the blood pressure of the person who's reading it so that they'll, you know, keep reading and, and keep stay engaged. And they're obviously trying to appeal to a conservative audience. So it, it there's, it's much less about relaying factual information than it is about, uh, telling people what they already want to hear confirming their preconceived political biases. So that is for me anyway, that, that's one way that I you know evaluate a source. Is this from a major you know news network that is going to face a lot of pressure if they get it wrong? or is this from a blog or some other website where you know there's there's much less expectation that, that you know m- much less vetting of that story before it's been published? And I find that that's generally helpful. The other thing that you can do is you, you check other sources. So if, mm-hmm. if CNN is reporting something, look and see if other networks are also reporting it. Mm. Um, if you can find multiple sources that corroborate a story that raises the, the, the likelihood that it is factual.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's what I was actually just gonna men- mention that. Like when you have converging lines of evidence um, it's, it's really helpful in determining whether what you're looking at is true or false because converging lines of evidence means you've got people from a diversity of worldviews and, and opinions and biases who are all reporting the same thing so that the lines of evidence are converging, there's a, there's a, they're colliding, you know, they're sort of meeting somewhere and that, you know, this is how we understand, for example, if something is historically true or not is one of the aspects, is you, you can identify converging lines of evidence um that give credence to a historical account whether or not there's a lot of data written down on it you can you can find those convergent lines of evidence and i was just going to add to that as well like because i had a conversation with a with a lady some years ago who said to me that um she did um she 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 had bought into the whole sort of um the vatican has a whole bunch of books of the bible hidden in a vault somewhere that they don't want mm-hmm. the world to see um so the whole sort of conspiracy theory that you can't trust the bible because the bible that we have isn't the original bible um it's only pieces of it and the vatican's hidden the rest of it away right and so i asked her like can you can you point me to the historian that has uh, has revealed this um and i don't remember who she pointed out but he wasn't a historian right it was just some joe schmo who wrote a book um and and what I tried to get to, get across to her, and I don't know if I was successful, but what I tried to get across to her um, was anyone, anyone, myself, right now, I can sit down and write a history book. Mm-hmm. And I can self-publish it on Amazon. Right? I can sit down and write a history book that claims that the first trip to the moon was actually a conspiracy by the Vatican to take the, um, the hidden manuscripts of the Bible and hide them in a secret vault in the moon to make sure that no one would ever get to them. Right. Like I can write a book like that. Right. I I totally can, and I can publish it. And I guarantee you, if I write it and publish it, I will have people, I will have a ton of people who believe me by the end of the year. Right. Um, and so what I said to her was any Joe Schmo can write a book and publish it. What you want are peer-reviewed historians because mm-hmm. peer-reviewed historians they can't just write whatever the heck they want and publish it. When they publish something, all of their historian comrades or 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 um, uh, you know the you know fellow historians will pounce on that paper and will peer re- peer review it. And you've got tons of historians from different backgrounds, different biases, who will then look at that paper and say, this is a load of baloney. You got this wrong, you, you did this wrong, you did that wrong. Or they will look at it and say, look, I don't fully agree, but this is the research is well done. It's worth considering, right? Um, mm-hmm. Whereas Joe Schmo, who wrote a book about, you know, um, how, you know, slaves in the South were happy, and you know uh, it's not peer-reviewed right like anyone can write whatever the heck they want and publish it and but peer-reviewed right, yeah. gives you a higher likelihood that what you're reading is is accurate and it's the same what you're saying with news sources It's like yeah. when there is scrutiny on a particular news source particularly mainstream ones even though that doesn't mean you just check your brain at the door and give them all your no, allegiance no. but there's a there's a sense in which um because of the scrutiny, you're more likely to get good data. and And here's the thing that I say to people who are completely distrustful of mainstream sources. Like if you want to be one hundred percent distrustful of mainstream sources, do it. But at the same time, be two hundred percent distrustful of independent sources because they have yes. they have no, like you said, no oversight, there's no scrutiny, right. you know, anyone can write whatever the heck they want and no one's going to call them out for it.
2: And, and I don't, and I have no clue, you know, if I'm just reading some political blog, I have no clue what journalistic standards, if any, that their writers are following when they're writing this stuff. I mean, there's some of this stuff, you know, back in the, during the 2016 election, when the whole idea of fake news really started kind of erupting, I, I read some articles that were talking about some of these guys that were uh, they were running some of these websites that were publishing fake news. And some of them were j- literally just doing it for the profit.
0: Mm. It,
2: was, it was ad ad revenue. They, they didn't necessarily have a, a, a political dog in the fight. It was just they knew that this material would get clicks and views and generate ad revenue. And so they would just manufacture stories, uh, you know, a- a- anti-Hillary Clinton stories that they knew Donald Trump supporters would believe. And they'd publish it. You know, so in that case, there is no journalistic integrity. They're just making it up, literally. And and by the way, that that was the original meaning of the term "fake news." I hate how that term has now been twisted to mean news that I don't like. Mm. You know, so somebody publishes a story that is you know critical of someone that you know a politician or other person that you admire, and you oh, it's fake news. That's not what fake news means. Fake news literally means fabricated stories. Yeah. <laughs> you know? that, that 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 was originally what that phenomenon referred to, but so, so that that's the challenge for me is like sure you can send me this YouTube video and say oh watch this, you know, that this guy exposes what's really going on. Well, how how do I know that he's trustworthy? Hmm. So yeah, like like you said, sure distrust the mainstream media or distrust scientists because there are people who will say well, you can't trust, you know, peer-reviewed articles either because they're all in on it, right? They're all they're all part of the conspiracy. That that's the grand conspiracy worldview that that everybody is either in on it or they're being silenced by the people who are in on it, right? They can't really speak the truth because the powers that be will silence them. Well, sure. You can believe that, but how do you know that? Like what is trustworthy? Mm. You know, How, how do you know what, what actually is true? We can actually get to this, this point where, you know, we're in a, we're in a state of total confusion where we have no idea what is true and what isn't because we've discredited every, you know, source that's mainstream hmm. and I don't see how that's helpful. I don't see how that's a, a healthy, uh, state to exist in where you just basically don't believe anything that, that hmm. anyone says.
1: Yeah, that's right. And I think this is where we can, we can, um, jump in, um, and I've got about five minutes left, but, uh, we can talk about this whole idea of, you know, the non-falsifiable is one of the red flags. Yes, for yes. with what you're looking at, whether whether it's trustworthy or not. Talk to us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, it's, it's to me, it's 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 the hallmark of conspiracy theories. As soon as I see people, you know, discrediting you know, like, like, OK, let's say somebody posts uh, a conspiracy theory or a story or something and someone else might chime in and say, well, you know, hey, actually, you know, this debunks that uh, is it, it, as soon as people start chiming in, oh, well, you know, that that person is uh, you know, that that's that person's from the liberal media or, or that person's from the scientific community. Of course, they're going to say that, you know, I, I, I immediately recognize this is a conspiracy theory. Mm-hmm. Right. Because what, what they're saying is any evidence that you present that's contrary to this theory is simply part of the cover. up. Mm-hmm. So in other words, it's non falsifiable. There is no evidence that you could give to disprove the theory. And th- this is this is a scientific concept. Right. If you if you're a scientist and you, you know, come up with a scientific theory of how something works you can publish that information and then other scientists can look at it and say, huh, let me experiment with that and see if I get the same results. And if another scientist, you know, experiments around and he's able to uh, get different results, he's, he's able to disprove what you're claiming were the results. He has falsified your study, right? He, he's, he's proven that, that maybe there was a flaw in your methodology uh, you know, whatever the case may be, but, but he's proven your theory is, is not correct. But if that scientist were to say, oh well you have to use the exact same you know uh experiment that i did well his his theory is non-falsifiable you can't provide any evidence to prove that it that it isn't it true
0: mm-hmm.
2: and it's the same with conspiracy theories if i give evidence to disprove a theory and that person just you know discredits it you know automatically it's, it's being part of the cover-up or all that information is coming from you know the, the the people who are controlling things behind the scenes I don't have a leg to stand on anymore. There's yeah, nothing I right. could say that could disprove that theory.
1: That's right. And I had this experience with this lady that I, I spoke to some years ago because, you know, she had this belief that the Vatican had all these secret books of the Bible stored away in a va- in a vault somewhere. Um, and I mentioned to her, like, there isn't a single peer-reviewed reputable historian in the history. I'm talking even historians who are atheists, right? Mm-hmm. Historians who have no dog in the Christian theological fight, whatsoever. Um, not a, there's not a single one who agrees with this. Like Joe Schmo, just you know, like Dan Brown with his dumb book, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like they made this stuff up, you know. Um, and so, and so I said to her, like, the problem with this view is that I could never, ever prove you wrong, and you could never right. prove me right. It's Mm -hmm. non-falsifiable. So what it does is it places us at an intellectual stalemate where we can go absolutely nowhere. But here's the thing that I've come to discover since then um, is that in some degree, I think that this this is one of the emotional appeals of a conspiracy theory because... Again, just going back to my own experience, you know, when I'm feeling insecure, when I'm feeling, you know, emotionally broken, or or those things that I can admit now that I wouldn't have admit, admitted back then, right? But you know, you kind of make peace with your humanity. But at the time when I'm I'm feeling this way, there's a sense in which, when I have a non falsifiable conspiracy theory that brings chaos, I mean, brings order out of the chaos for me. What this means then is that I have an ideology that cannot be scrutinized. And that's appealing to me because I don't want to be scrutinized. I'm already Mm -hmm. insecure, right? I already feel Mm -hmm. like the world's falling apart under my feet and I can't hold it together. So I want to believe in something that cannot be scrutinized. I want to believe in something that cannot be falsified. That appeals to my emotional brokenness, the fact that you could never tear this wall down it's a it's a brilliant thing to do right i can it's a brilliant defense mechanism i can erect this wall and you'll never be able to tear it down you'll never be able to take me for a sucker even though i already am a sucker but at least i'm a sucker of my own making right (laughs) and and you'll never be able to tear this wall down because there's nothing you can do to 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 pull the pieces apart it's non-falsifiable and so Mm -hmm. to some degree what this does is it, it it creates the perfect fortress where i can store my heart and know no one can mess with it and and i think to some degree that's that's part of the appeal of the non-falsifiable theory but for those who are listening and like look you're sincerely seeking truth and you're sincerely trying to find a way to navigate the insanity and the 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 craziness of life um i think that this is a really good thing to keep in mind the moment you buy into an ideology that's non-falsifiable to this degree um you can you can pretty much it's it's a it's a giant red flag you can pretty much be sure that what you're dealing with is a narrative that has been concocted and invented uh, by someone with an agenda uh, and that is appealing to a part of you that's not intellectual but really rather broken and and i believe that god doesn't want us to fill our minds with ideas that simply pacify our brokenness, right, that appeal to our carnal sensibilities, but that he's calling us to something higher, something greater. He's calling us to an experience of healing um, where the ideas that we embrace can actually be the kinds of things that we can contend with. And we can interact with, and we can question and wrestle and 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 reason. Right, this is the whole idea of reasoning. Right, mm-hmm. reasoning. Reasoning presupposes that your wall can be torn down. Um, and so, if we have an experience of healing with God, where it was like, all right, God, you know, like here, here's 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 what's really going on. Let me t- take the mask, the facade aside. Here's what's really going on, and we can experience that healing. At least in my experience, what it does is it opens me to the possibility of saying, okay, I don't have to believe these things anymore i can mm-hmm. actually open myself wow. up to god's narrative to the, the and the vulnerability that comes with that right the questions and the unknowns yeah. there's so many unknowns
0: mm-hmm. um
1: that come with with that because in a in a sense god purposefully engineered his revelation to not answer every question to not fill in every blank he purposefully yeah. engineered it that way and i think a part of that is it demands a certain level of emotional health to contend with the revelation that God has given us because he doesn't satisfy our carnal sensibilities or desires for filling in all the blanks. He leaves mystery. And you have to yeah. be at peace with the mystery and with the not knowing. Bro, this is deep, man. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs>
2: this is deep. <laughs> I I, you know, I never I have never thought of that aspect of the, the non-falsifiable nature of conspiracy theories before, but that is that is so insightful that it, it, it's, a, it's a, a defense mechanism, I, I can create a, a worldview that no one else can ever assail. I, mm. And I, this, this ties in, really, I, I believe, with the whole idea that, that Christians don't have that kind of deep faith in God. Mm. And, and so they're supporting their religious belief system with these conspiracy theories that are non-falsifiable, right? But, but now they're unassailable. No one can disprove them. No one can discredit them and 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 now i'm kind of wondering does that stem from a place of fear that if they allowed doubts about that whole religious belief system to to creep in are they afraid they would lose their faith in god mm. entirely
0: mm.
2: you know would, would they would they would, would their whole doctrinal system collapse if they allowed that vulnerability into their belief system absolutely but 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 that idea that um uh that you know trusting god means accepting that there are questions I'm not going to have answered. That's, that's so powerful. And that's so important because Mm -hmm. you're absolutely right. God doesn't tell us, he doesn't give us all the answers to all of our questions. Mm -hmm. That was one of the things I was struck by um, a a couple of years ago. I was going through a difficult time. Um, A lot, a lot of hard things were happening in my life. It was right after my mom had died and I went to the book of Job and started reading Job, um, you know, classic book about human suffering (laughs) And, um, the thing that struck me about that, about that book was that at least in my reading of it, God never answers Job's questions about why this is happening. He has that whole dialogue with Job where he basically says, look, man, you're a human and I'm God. Like, can you do what I do? Do you have the understanding of the knowledge that I do? And Job has to admit, no, I I don't. Like I I, I spoke out of turn. I, I was talking about things I didn't fully understand. But God never tells him, hey, Job, here's why this happened. Mm. And that re- that kind of really blew my mind a little bit when I when I really thought about it. Because, because I mean, we, we kind of know. Because we see the whole behind-the-scenes conversation with, you know, Satan going up to heaven and mm. telling God, oh, Job only serves you because you bless him. You know, take that away, and, and he'll curse you. So we, we can see that behind-the-scenes conversation going on. But we're not told that God ever said that to Job. I don't know that Job got that answer. Yeah. So, and this reminds me of something that Roger Hernandez said. Um, I went to one of his evangelistic meetings one time. Uh, it, it was part of a uh, part of our young ministry in our conference. All the young, unordained pastors, we had, we uh, we used to have a, these meetings that we would go to every so often. And one of them, we went to a, an evangelistic series that Roger Hernandez was uh, was doing. Um, and he made this point that. When, like if, if you're if you're in the middle of suffering what you need is a solution not not an answer mm. and he used this illustration like if somebody you know if you're if you're walking down a, a dark street at night somebody comes up and, and robs you at gunpoint you know it takes your your wallet and your phone and your keys and everything you know he's like do you want an answer in that moment do you want me to come along and say to you well let me let me tell you why this happened you see this guy that robbed you he had a rough life he had a <laughs> he had a hard background. His, his yeah. parents didn't love him. He fell in with the wrong crowd, got hooked on drugs. Now he needs money. He's like, is that what you want? Do you do you want a, an answer for why this happened? Or do you need a solution? You need your wallet and your phone and your keys back, right? Mm. And he made the point that this, this is what God is promising to us. He's promising us a solution to our pain, mm. a solution to our human suffering. He doesn't give us all the answers.
0: Mm.
2: He doesn't tell us this, this is why this this happened, right? Yeah. But he, he offers us a solution, and, and to me, that was that was such a uh, an eye-opening concept. That yeah, I'm not going to have answers. Mm. I don't know why ever, you know, I don't know why this pandemic is happening. Yeah, I don't know why there was a tornado that, that ripped through my area recently. I don't know why my mom died of cancer. Right. Mm. I mean, I know that we live in a a world full of suffering and evil. I, I understand that much. But why, you know, a specific reason why these things happened, and, and at the time that they happened, I don't know. Mm. But I know that God has has provided a solution for that. Yeah. Right. He gives me hope. And see if I if I can trust in that solution. If I can trust in that hope and a better future, I don't need all the answers
0: hmm.
2: for for why this is happening. Yeah. I don't need to construct that that conspiracy theory worldview where you know everything is explained by these nefarious forces controlling everything that's going on in the world.
1: That's awesome. I love it. <laughs> oh man, I think this is. Um... I think this is definitely. I think we've definitely broken the record for my longest interview, podcast interview ever. Um, this is good, though. I, I get good. to rambling
2: too much, probably. No, no. <laughs> it, you know,
1: uh, this is good stuff, man. This is good stuff. Well, we do. We do have to wrap it up. So I wanted to um, just say one one thing in closing, and then I've I've got another question for you uh, for people who want to get in touch with you and stuff, uh, follow you on social media. But um, I would I would probably close by saying that just coming back to this idea that you've been mentioning the whole time that if I could summarize I would summarize it like this we need to be aware of the times that we're living in but there's a lot of unknowns within that yeah and we need to be at peace with those, those unknowns because God is bringing all things together for His glory. And if we're rooted and grounded in that, we don't need to spend 30, 40 hours on YouTube watching everyone and their weird conspiracy theories and filling our minds with things that don't actually strengthen us. Uh, We can take peace in what we know and what we don't know. We can have peace in in, in the order and the chaos. Um, and this is one of the things I appreciate about Jordan Peterson's book, um, 12 rules for life. Uh, I I don't always agree with Peterson, but there's one thing I appreciated about that book, probably my favorite aspect of the book where he talks about chaos and order. And he says that many people, what they try and do is they try and find a way to live that is chaos free, Hmm. um, get rid of all the chaos. And so what he suggests is that that is. You can't do that. Like when you try and live a life without suffering, that is one of the root causes for anxiety. You cannot engineer a life without chaos. It's impossible. What you need to do is find a way to live in the middle of order and chaos, right? Find find that equilibrium. Um, and he suggests that when you live with too much order, what you become tyrannous. Um, and when you live with too much chaos, you never know where you're going. And so finding a middle ground, and I, I think that's a you know from a biblical perspective that's really helpful i actually think that that's what god is calling us to not so much a ethereal middle ground but a relational middle ground where we find our middle in him we find our middle in christ and his promises and we're so rooted in that that we are at peace in what we know and at peace in what we don't know um so yeah look we got to wrap up here but for those who are listening uh, i hope that's been um helpful i hope our our conversation has been enlightening and and positive in that regard and and matthew for 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 those who want to get in touch with you, um, uh, I know you're on social media, Twitter, uh, Facebook, I believe. Um, just go ahead and yeah, let us know if someone after this is like, hey, this Matthew Schallenberger guy is a legend. I wanna get in touch with him. <laughs> I want him to come preach at my church when the pandemic's over, obviously. Yeah, um, how, yeah. Can, how can people get in touch with you?
2: Um, I am on uh, Facebook and Twitter. Um, so if you if you search uh, Matthew Schallenberger on Facebook, you'll find me there. On Twitter, I am at M um, J Shally, S H A L L Y. So at M J Shally, that's where you'll find me on Twitter. Um, also, if you you can look up uh, my church's YouTube page, um, Ultawa Adventist Church, and um, uh, we have uh, we we live stream all our services. Even before the pandemic, we were live streaming our services um so you can uh if if you're interested in seeing any of my sermons um I preach about once a month so you can find those on there and of course my senior pastor Peter Kulikov all of his sermons are on there so if you're if you're looking for some good sermon material um to to watch during this pandemic instead of the latest Star Trek show (laughs) (laughs) uh check check out Willfield Adventist Church uh on YouTube and you can find some uh, some good content there. So th- those are three ways people can kind of uh, keep up with me. Right on.
1: Well, thanks so much, Matthew. I really appreciate you coming on today, man. I, this was this was a fun conversation. And honestly, um, if 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 I didn't have uh, kids waiting for me, who they've been they've been amazing. They've been so quiet back there in the middle of the day while I'm recording this. Um, if it wasn't for that, I'd probably go for another hour, but uh, <laughs> we're going to go ahead and wrap it up there. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today, Matthew. I really appreciated all your insights and everything you had to share. And for those of you who are listening, once again, head over to the storychurchproject.com. on the blog that um, this podcast is linked to. You'll find the links to Matthew's social media accounts as well. And um, if you want to help me out in publishing a Bible study set designed for studying the Bible with secular people, uh, we don't actually have one of those. Matthew, can you believe that? We don't really have a Bible study set that you can go to the ABC and, and be like, oh, I've got secular postmodern slash metamodern slash whatever <laughs> post everything yeah. friends. Which one of these <laughs> should I use to study the Bible with them? Um, there really isn't one that's designed for that, and so for the last five years, I've been working on one because most of the people I study the Bible with are secular. I live in Australia, after all, um, and so I've been designing one, and uh, I'm getting ready to publish it. But it costs a lot of money design. You know, I got a graphic designer working on it and stuff. So if you uh, are listening want to help out, just head over to the You go to the store. There's an offer, and every single one of those um, offer packs that is sold, it's uh, four ebooks, I believe. Um, that I've written, every single one of them, um, all of it just goes toward making this Bible study set a reality, and so, uh, yeah, help a brother out, um, and uh, yeah, I'd be really appreciative. Anyways, thank you guys again, um, and thank you again, Matthew, and we'll catch you guys next week. Take care, and God you <laughs>